Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. Dominic, your background disappeared. It did, it did. I, I reset it in case it messed anything <laughs> up. Or it, there, was, there was a Star Trek background that I, I guess I had. Oh, well, that uh, was cool. And my brother. your guitars are just as cool. Guys, help me welcome Dominic Burgess onto our show. Uh, Dominic has been in a whole bunch of stuff and is starring in a new show called Dr. Death premiering on Peacock here very soon. How are you doing, Dominic? I'm good. Thank you so much. No, uh, thank you for being here with us. And I want to get the ball rolling right away. Your first professional credits, at least according to IMDb, which you got to take with a little bit of grain of salt, uh-huh. Let's is, do it. I know, is I know Batman Begins. All right? <laughs> now, it's amazing. Your first professional acting credit, what was it like walking onto that Warner Brothers big budget set. Was it overwhelming? You know, uh, let's talk about Batman Begins. Um, This was, it was my first job out of drama school. In fact, I auditioned for it on the day that I graduated from drama school. I rushed into central London. Uh, I auditioned with the casting director, uh, Elaine Granger. I think I think she was with uh, Lucinda Sison at the time. Um, and I auditioned for uh, for the role of an Arkham inmate who was going to escape. And I had uh, scenes where I was, uh, I guess I was uh, coming up on... I can't remember the Jack. Is it Jack Gleason who plays Joffrey in Game of Thrones? And I was supposed to yes. be threatening him in the yeah, audition. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then I raced back for my graduation and then I found out I booked it. And oh man, I thought I was so naive and so green. And here was little me thinking, I just graduated from drama school and I'm going to be in a Batman film. Uh- <laughs> and they were filming about an hour outside of London in these huge hangars that I guess used to house old airplanes Mm -hmm. and blimps. And they had built the narrows of of Gotham city inside one of them. Wow. And the Batmobile was right there. And Oh man, you played a cop. You played a cop. Yeah. Because I went through wardrobe and then one of the wardrobe women were like, wait, hold on. You're so young and fresh-faced. I, I don't believe that you could be a criminal. And then there was a whole chain of conversation. And then I got turned into a cop, which was totally fine. Um, and then I had a couple of lines down in the Narrows. And I was so I was so excited. And it was a great three days. And I got to see the Batmobile. And I got to see... It was my first time seeing all this stuff and seeing the stuntmen fly up on the rig. And... Of course, then I told all my friends. I was like, "I'm gonna be the Batman Begins," um, and then I took like ten friends to the Odeon Cinema, and oh boy, that sinking feeling where the moment passes, where you know that you should have appeared on screen, and it's cut, and it's gone, and I just shrank Aww. in my seat. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, I think it's a lesson for every actor uh-huh. that it doesn't, you can have the most wonderful time on set, but it doesn't mean you'll end up on screen. Um, my name survived the credits, which is 
That's, Delightful. That's I guess. awesome. And you know what? Um, the most important thing is the experience you got. Not many people graduating great. drama school get to be, even if you're seeing this cut, get to be on the set of something like that. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience. Uh, and then I did I bounced from uh, Batman to Doctor Who. Yes. And again, it was just a couple of lines. But this time, I didn't tell anyone. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't go through that again. So I kept quiet about that one until it aired, and I was like, oh, I made it. I made it. Okay. <laughs> I was Doctor Who. Um, and it's it's happened a couple of times since. I I did an episode of. Uh, <clears throat> 90210 and and that was uh all sort of cut out and i worked on a couple of episodes of goliath and then that completely changed and they went a different direction for the season so they scrapped the whole first three episodes of a, a season um it, it happens it's yeah it's, yeah. Part, of it's part of the job now going just a little bit more on batman begins it's a christopher nolan movie it seems like everything christopher nolan touches turns into gold did you have the pleasure of meeting him, talking to him at all, or no? No, not directly. Um, it was, I think, a first AD that would relay everything. He was off in Video Village. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially early on in my career, now now I'm uh, a little more... Well, you're a veteran so, now. Yeah, now I'm now I'm happy getting to set and speaking to someone directly and getting direction and and asking questions back then or you know early on in my career i was very quiet and very timid and you know oh hello i'm very happy to be here i'm just gonna sit in this corner until you need me okay thanks so much bye um and you know as you as you grow you you gain confidence and yeah, now now I'd be asking questions. Be like, can I go sit in Video Village? I want to watch, yeah, um, yeah. which I love to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Doctor Death, I have uh, it hasn't premiered yet. It's a Peacock show. I've had the privilege through a festival to see uh, screeners of the show, great. and it looks great. Uh, for our audience, the background storyline is about this doctor, spinal doctor, uh, surgeon who basically is not doing the most ethical of things in the operating room, and some people want to stop him. Uh, First of all, how did you... uh, You have a pretty major role in this. Uh, What is it like? You have appeared on numerous projects uh, over the course of years on a single project. What is it like booking Dr. Death and having your name like be third or fourth in the credits yeah uh it's uh a little in it was intimidating it was intimidating um you know much much like joshua jackson i wasn't originally cast in this role um so because of covid and schedule changes i was going to be going to mexico to do a, a, I don't think that's a limited series anymore. I think that's gone for a second season now, but I was going to go down to Mexico to shoot something and that got put on hold. And then Dr. Death got put on hold and Jamie Dornan dropped out. Joshua Jackson jumped in. Then I jumped in 
and committed. And then Mexico called and was like, we're going. Um, so it was like this domino effect of, I guess, yeah. people jumping from project to project. Um, so I, I didn't know, I didn't know much about Christopher Dunch, the, the surgeon. So I, I tore through the podcast and I play Jerry Summers, mm -hmm. who is uh, Christopher Dunch's best friend, and he helped him set up his business. He was his right-hand man, and he would drive him around, and he he was sort of a, a man behind the scenes, and he ended up offering his neck for Christopher Dunch wow. to perform surgery on, and then he became quadriplegic after two two terrible surgeries and it's a fascinating story oh my goodness it's it, it's terrifying it's terrifying mm -hmm. you know when you go in for and i've had any kind of medical I've, procedure I've, yeah. I've had three back surgeries so i can relate uh with yeah. how terrifying it is you're putting your trust into a doctor and to have that betrayed is yeah. you're right it's terrifying it's 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 so scary and you know with with Jerry being a real guy I listened to the podcast and in the original uh, sort of run of podcasts he he wasn't too forthcoming he didn't really want to talk about his experience he still held Chris in high regard and considered him a good friend mm -hmm. and so I, I didn't reach out to him in terms of you know, probing or asking questions or figuring out how to, to play him uh, because I, I thought that would be, you know, a, a little rude and crass for someone who'd been through something so yeah. traumatic. Um, but he was this big, gregarious, loving guy and he was so loyal to Christopher Dunch and, and sort of that that's the angle that I, I approached uh, with, with Jerry in terms of playing him. So that research that you did and talking to him really helped you get into character. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't talk to him, um, but I, I listened to the podcast, the podcast and interviews. And I, I tried to find video footage where I could. Um, and just through listening to to who he was and how outgoing and how how friendly he was i did i tracked down his social media account uh on twitter and um even after everything that he'd been through uh after becoming quadriplegic he was still so optimistic and he loved his dog and he loved his care team and he loved sports and he was he was so upbeat. Yeah. Um, and then during the course of filming, uh, we were filming all of the the hospital scenes, and Wendy, our script supervisor, came out from behind Video Village and and said that uh, Jerry Summers had died uh, the day before, um, and he'd actually died. Uh, he he died in February of this year. So it it really. Um, mm. You know, it's 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 tough because you 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 want to have fun and and make filming a, a joyous process, but you know, in the in the same regard, it's real people who have been through real trauma, and and so it, you sort of have to 
give them the the respect that that they deserve rightly so and when you found the news that he passed away you said this past february were you guys still filming at that point we were we um i was filming a scene where i wake up from my first surgery um with grace gummer and then we were we were getting ready to shoot a scene where they were going to be wheeling me through a hallway to to go prep for my second surgery um and we still had two more days of hospital scenes to to shoot at, at that point uh and then followed up with all the the courtroom scenes as well so it really because up to that point in the series jerry had sort of been not the comedic relief but sort of a lighter character compared to all this darkness that that christopher dunch was doing um and that really brought uh you know i I don't want to i don't want to say it 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 helped me get in character because it's so I would never presume to to say that someone's death helped me get in character, but it, it really just well, how, put a gravitas on proceedings. Let me ask you this: When you found out about his death, did it did you feel an added weight of responsibility to bring accuracy to the character and to do uh, I don't know what the right word is justice to what this yes. man had endured? Yeah, uh, and I, I felt that I felt that even before going into it. And it's, it's something that I had discussed with Patrick McManus, the, the showrunner and, uh, and the directors was that I never, it, Jerry is big and gregarious and, and fun, but I, I never wanted to portray him as the butt of the joke yeah. or that he was naive or reckless. Um, my approach to him was that, he was so loyal. He loved Christopher Dunch so much. And he had a place and he had a purpose and he loved him. He loved Christopher Dunch. And so th- that was really my angle was coming, was coming at him from a place of being this loyal, friendly guy who was manipulated. Christopher Dunch manipulated so many people. He manipulated the medical system. He manipulated patients People, people were enamored with yeah. him. They would come yeah. in uh, for a consultation and he would convince them that he was the guy for the job. And I think he did the same with Jerry. You know, he used him for his own personal gain. And I, I think that, you know, in both a surgical capacity and in a, a, a emotional capacity i think jerry was was used and manipulated yes yes i absolutely agree with you on that one let's talk about your castmates uh dr death has some great cast members i gotta tell you it was really good seeing christian slater again uh, Mm -hmm. on the screen what was it like working with alec baldwin christian slater and uh christopher dunch is played by joshua jackson Mm -hmm. uh Describe your experience working with uh, Baldwin and Slater and Jackson. Well, it's actually funny because I never met uh, Alec or Christian um, because the way that the show is formatted is sort of, it splits into parallel storylines. There's present day and there's sort of 
everything that's going on with Christopher Dunch from the 90s leading up to the present. Yeah, it's told like um, a flashback. Yes. And so I never had uh, scenes with uh, with Alec or Christian. I was so excited. I wanted to meet Christian so much just to ask about Star Trek VI because I'm a big Star Trek guy. Um, and the timing didn't work. One day I thought it was going to work out, but we were going to be on set at the same time. And it's like, I'm going to ask him about Undiscovered Country. Um, and it didn't it didn't work out. But that's okay. There'll be another opportunity. There will be. Um, but Josh Jackson, uh, it's so fascinating because he's he's such a warm, friendly, open guy, and then to see him switch on and go into sort of Christopher Dunch mode is, I mean, testament to to him as an artist. Uh, he becomes very intense mm-hmm. um, when he's in that role. Um, and he imbued him so well um, that he, you know he's intimidating. He's got this this laser stare, and he becomes intimidating. Even though Jerry's his best friend, um, you know there's still that line that that Jerry won't cross with him. Yeah. He comes close to to telling him how he really feels a, a couple of times, but right up until the end, Jerry Jerry defends him. But yeah, Josh was. He was so great, and he was a new father at this. I mean, he's still a new father. Um, you know, he he and his wife had, had just had a baby, and we were filming in the middle of a pandemic, and so the, you know the circumstances of of filming it were very much come in, do the scene, and then separate to, yeah. to your own little space and keep your distance from everyone else. Um, so it was a it was a very odd experience, but so warm and. And so wonderful, and Anna Sophia Robb and, and Grace Gummer, yeah, d- yeah, I, wonderful. I mean, casting Joshua was perfect because he plays that, you know, the way you described it, charismatic. Will can sell ice to an Eskimo, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was a great, great casting choice. Let's jump ahead because you mentioned you're a Star, a Star Trek fan. What was it like when you landed on Picard? Oh my gosh! Now for dream. me, my favorite Star Trek. I'm a Star Trek fan too, uh-huh. but I grew up with uh, the next generation, the Picard gang. Okay, yeah. a lot of people, the older generation, were with the original show, but for me, Picard. The uh-huh. I mean, a lot of people, James T. Kirk. For me, it's Patrick Stewart and Picard. Uh-huh. What was it like getting onto the you know Star Trek Picard? Oh my gosh! So I mean, I I've loved Star Trek for so long. Uh, I think I'd seen, I think my brother had made me watch Wrath of Khan and I'd seen Star Trek 3 and I'd seen Voyage Home. And then I remember back in England, Next Generation would play on Sky One and BBC Two. And so I would race home from school and I would do my homework while I was on in the background. Um, and then Voyager was really my Star Trek because yeah. that was, because when I got into Next Generation, it was sort of already in semi-syndication where it was on every night of the week. And so you didn't have to wait for cliffhangers or, or it actually like still is. That's how popular it is. Yeah. I mean, it's still a go-to. I was watching Best of Both Worlds last night while I was waiting for Loki to, to start up um, at midnight. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. Voyager was my show. That was the one that I watched from pilot to finale as mm-hmm. it aired live. And then I would have to wait for the cliffhangers. And it was... It was exciting and 
yeah, that's that's my Star Trek. And so then when I found out that Jerry Ryan was going to be on Picard as well, and I would have a scene with her and Patrick Stewart, and it was going to be directed by Jonathan Frakes. Oh, man. Oh, my, Riker my and Picard. I mean, I can imagine. I can it imagine. Just, and just what, you know, sometimes you, you walk onto a set and especially when you, you're sort of a guest star actor and you, you jump from show to show, you know, sometimes you get to set and you read the environment and you realize, oh, this is a show where I just sit in my chair. I don't talk to anyone. I keep my head down. I know my lines. I'm going to go do my job and then I'm going to go home. And Star Trek was so warm and welcoming. I went for the prosthetic fitting and then they were like, do you want to meet Jonathan Frakes? And I was like, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have bits of latex, like, falling <laughs> off the face, but sure, let's go meet him. And they took me to the, the dining room. They were on lunch at the time. And in the middle of the dining room, Jonathan Frakes just stood up and was like, Dominic Burgess, welcome to the family. And just... And Jonathan is a, a big, he's a big guy. He's an overwhelming, intimidating figure. Uh, so warm. He, you know, he's, again, he's one of those warm, open, friendly people. And he just exudes so much love for Star Trek mm -hmm. and working with Patrick. And he ran the most joyous set. It was someone's birthday. I don't know if it was the, the DP's birthday, one of the camera guy's birthday. And after every setup, he would start the charge in singing happy birthday. We must have sung happy birthday to this guy maybe 12, 13 times that day. Wow. Um, he just keeps a warm, upbeat, friendly set. And it was just a joy. What a joy. Now, Jonathan and Patrick, they have known each other for 30-plus years. Um, did you see them interacting? I mean, they must be really good friends. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and what was so wonderful was that, you know, we were, we were filming in a nightclub uh, up on Universal uh, City at City Walk where... Um, you know, uh, they sort of made it look like Stardust City and, and dressed the set. And it would be, it would have been so easy for them to have been dismissive or for them to, after each take, to go and find a quiet corner. Yeah. And between takes, we would just sit in the booths of these nightclubs and Jonathan and Patrick would just reminisce about old stories and patrick asked about my background and was like i'm from stoke-on-trent and he was like ah oh, stoke-on-trent the old vic theater and you know it, it was they were so warm and welcoming that yeah i, I you just i would imagine it's like a it's hard to put into words. Uh, just yeah, seeing those and I two. handled it very well because yeah. inside I was like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" But outside, I was very professional. Yes. Uh, let's go back to Doctor Death for a little bit. Do you think sure. the actual real story is uh, a lot scarier than what can be portrayed on the screen? You know, I read I read something. Uh, earlier on about the show that I thought, oh, that's that's a great way of putting it. Um, in, in one of the articles, someone described it as 
you know, in the seventies, Jaws made people scared to go in the ocean and sort yeah. of, and now Dr. Death is, is doing the same for, for surgeries where it's giving people pause and, and, and second thought. And I think, you know, sometimes I, I think it's interesting that NBC Peacock is, is doing this because, you know, they have New Amsterdam and there's uh, Grey's Anatomy on ABC and all these medical dramas where the doctors are the heroes yeah. and, you know, you feel like you're in good hands and everyone's going to be fighting to save your life. And in, in the surgical bays, they'll they'll keep doing CPR for two hours until yeah. that person comes around and they can reunite the family. And this is... This is not that. Um, and I, I think what's, you know, I, I don't know if, if a dramatization can ever match what has been done in, in real life, to, to answer your question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, it's terrifying to think that this happened and it could be happening somewhere else or it could be happening in another country or, you know, yeah. that even in England, um, we had our own, I guess, Dr. Death, you would call him, uh, Dr. Harold Shipman, who again, uh, was responsible for, I think, gosh, maybe even hundreds of deaths. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it is a terrifying thing to, to shine a spotlight on, but I don't, I would never presume to say, that a show is is scarier yeah. than what we've done in real life. I think real life is much more scarier than what we see on TV. I think that's why a lot of us uh, turn to TV for an escape from real life. <laughs> Would you say, uh, you know, Joshua's character, Christopher, Dr. Dunce, would you call him a narcissist, a psychopath? How would you classify him? You know... It's interesting. We had this discussion on on set many times uh, with Patrick and, and Josh, um, and I think what's great about the show is we. It's impossible to get inside this guy's head, mm -hmm. whether it was a god complex where he really thought that he was better than everyone else, but he just didn't have the technical skill yeah. that he really thought that he did, or if he got into that operating room and he really knew what he was doing and there was this n need or desire to hurt people, it, it's, it's a fast, it's a really fascinating character study or question to ask. And I don't know if we'll ever, ever find, know. Yeah. I, I don't know if, if Christopher Dunch will ever take ownership mm -mm. for what he has done. Um, which again is, I think, is is terrifying in itself that people can move through society like that and be in those positions of responsibility, yeah. um, and use their charm and charisma and have mm -hmm. people just follow them. That's that's a scary thing. Now, yeah. Doctor Death is premiering tomorrow, correct? Yeah, I don't know if uh, I know when Disney stream stuff. It's sort of midnight West Coast time, but it's sometimes on Hulu when it's Handmaid's Tale. It's nine o'clock East Coast. It's out tomorrow. Yeah, it varies. Yeah, yeah. Midnight. It varies uh, from streaming network to streaming network. Uh -huh. uh, the What I have noticed is they like to do it simultaneously. So 
to, at least in the United States, to make sure they include the whole country, it will be released, like I'm on the East Coast, it will be released uh-huh. somewhere between 3 to 5 a.m. Okay. to make sure they cover the entire United States. Uh-huh. Now, I've never gotten the privilege to talk to someone where a brand new show is premiering literally the next day. As an actor on this show, uh, you guys, I've seen it. It's a great show. But what are you feeling the night before the premiere? As a as an actor on this show, are you like, God, I hope this does well? Uh, do you I have faith that it will? Uh, how are you feeling right now? You know, it's hard because I haven't seen any of it at all. Um, wow. I was, I just got back from filming in, in Puerto Rico. So I've actually seen more than you have. You've seen more than I have. <laughs> um, I went in maybe a, a month ago to do some ADR. So I saw snippets of scenes, but that was in a, a work capacity to, to sort of hide airplane noise and, and things that were happening in the club and, and whatnot. Um, so you know more than I know. Uh, so again, I don't think it's going to be a Batman Begins situation where I don't see the light of day. No, um, no, no, no. So that's nice, at least. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's always exciting. I think, you know, when you're an actor, you hope that, that people respond to your work and and the, the jobs that you do, you know, whether it's theater and you, you're feeding off the live audience or whether it's TV or and film, um, yeah, I, you know, in a, a, an ego-driven way, it's nice to have people enjoy your work, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Now, because this is based on a real story, well, inspired by real events, and it is a TV show, this is not a movie, very, not, I don't want to say rarely, but it's not often we see uh, a television series that is uh, based on real events. Uh do you know, is there a lifespan on this show if it does as good as you guys hope it does? Is it going to be a limited series or is it, you know, we're going to keep going until... I don't, I don't think so. I um, I imagine that this just lives in its own sort of limited eight episode arc. Uh, I know that there is a, a second season of the Doctor Death podcast that focuses on another doctor. Um, so if it were to move forward, I think it would operate like an anthology series, like American Horror Story, where each season focuses on, on a different story. Um, I'm not sure if... I think um, Peacock were planning on doing a, a documentary alongside it, Um so maybe that will go hand in hand with it. But I think the the story is told in as much as they want to tell it Okay. Uh, in those eight episodes. Yeah. Now, as an actor, do you like the idea of, of uh, just moving on from character to character and not, let's say, let's say it does take the route of American Horror Story and becomes an anthology. But as with American Horror Story, they keep bringing back the same actors to play different characters. Now, that's appealing. As an actor, do you like the idea of doing different characters and not getting stuck playing one character for an extended period of time? It's so funny that you ask 
this because I was talking with someone else about this earlier on today. Um, Doctor, De- we filmed Doctor Death over six months in in New York, and like you say, normally I'm an actor that will go from job to job, mm-hmm. and I will bounce from sunny in Philadelphia to Star Trek to The Magicians to The Flash or Good Place, and sometimes I feel like I'm I'm a squirrel foraging for nuts that I've like oh I've got to take every job that I can get because I don't know where the next job is coming from and I've got to sort of save up and uh yeah look for work look for work and it was so hard for me to adjust when I got to Dr. Death because it was six months constant work and in those first couple of weeks I felt like I should be doing I should be I should be looking for what's next I should we started filming in October and then I was already thinking like but what about April I've got to I've got to start thinking about what I've got to do in in April um and it took a while to get out of that mentality and just enjoy the moment and enjoy the moment and enjoy the work and then you know by the time I got to March and we only had a couple of days of filming left then that old mentality of like okay now what's next now it's uh, gotta get back into survival mode um it's yeah it's 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 a real different feeling. I've, you know, I, I'd done Feud and I'd, I'd been on Ant Farm for an extended period of time on, on Disney. Um, and it is nice to have those moments of, oh, I can relax and I've got yeah. a job and I, I know what's going on for the next few months. And that's really nice. Um, but yeah, like right now, I, I just finished this job in Puerto Rico and now I, I landed back in LA and I'm, I'm back onto like, now what? Now what? Which I <laughs> I enjoy too, and I've been so fortunate to to play such an eclectic range of roles. Uh, so I enjoy I enjoy it. I enjoy the process. I enjoy being an actor. I, I love of it. Of course, of course. Now you said Doctor Death. You guys were shooting it during COVID. Uh, did you guys, because of the timeline, did you start before the shutdown? Were you already? shooting during the shutdown there was no interruption we started in october so new york was pretty much shut down um i I live in los angeles and i I flew to new york and um you know i was very safety conscious i didn't want to be the guy responsible for shutting down a set and so Mm. i i walked everywhere i didn't go into subways or in uh, bars or restaurants um um and we had a shutdown just out of an abundance of precaution um we shut down for two weeks in november um where things started ramping up again yeah yeah so we we shut down just around thanksgiving for two weeks and then we came back and then it was christmas and then we came back um and went straight through till march um but yeah, it was it was an odd experience. It was odd to experience New York at that time, you know, with Broadway being dark and yeah. everything being quiet. I mean, it was it was kind of lovely in a way because I'd never experienced New York that quiet, and so you could sort of walk out onto the streets early in the morning, and it would just be eerily silent and beautiful. There was snowstorms while we were there, and I would get up at six o'clock in the morning and, and venture out and 
I, I was uh, I was born and raised in New York for 23 years, and to see I live just outside of D.C. now, but uh -huh. I still my family's there. I own my childhood home there, and to see pictures of Times Square completely empty, mm -hmm. I'm like I thought I never thought I would see the day. Yeah, it's literally a ghost town, and mm -hmm. that's how scary it was. Now you had the opportunity uh, to work on them. Uh, how would you describe that experience? Great. Uh, again, I, I was fortunate enough. Uh, the director of, of my episode, Nelson uh, Craig, I knew from Feud. He was uh, a DP on Feud, and now his career has progressed, and now he's directing. Uh, and so, yeah, he reached out to me and was like, hey, there's, there's this role, um, and I love horror. And I hadn't had a chance to do a whole bunch of of horror, so I was like, "Yeah, immediately." Or any any kind of time that there's uh, a period piece or something that I've never done before, never had an opportunity to do, or if it's in a a location that I've never been to before, you know, there there are different things that are, attract me to jobs. If yeah. it's you know like. Yeah, I'll go to Puerto Rico. Yeah, I'll do a horror film. Like I'm still waiting. Uh, I'm still chomping at the bit to do a western. Anytime there's uh, science fiction or horror involved, I'm I'm probably going to be like, yeah, let's go. Um, yeah. So you know, knowing that that Nelson was was involved and and knowing that it was going to be a horror piece and. Yeah, it was it was a no brainer to to say yes to that. Now another horror that you've been a part of is Deadcon. Uh, how did you become a part of the Deadcon cast? You know that I think was just a, an audition that came in. Uh, I know uh, Je Jessica Sherman was the casting director on that, and it was a low budget mm -hmm. film. And uh, she very nicely approached and and said, "Hey, you know, there's this." It's a low-budget film. It's not going to pay very much. And again, it's it's like one of those things um, where, d d depending on the job, if, if it's a low-budget film, I'll still do low-budget films and short there have been films. Some amazing low-budget films. Yeah, I I I'll absolutely do those. Um, you know, to to an extent, depending on what it is. But if if someone calls and says like, "Hey, will you do three days on this thing?" It's like yeah three days is three days is nothing of course yeah. i'll go do that it's just down the road in north hollywood burbank pasadena absolutely i'll do it you know it becomes a different story if someone's like hey can you do our low budget film and we're filming in sacramento and it's going to be seven weeks and get yourself there and airbnb yourself and then it's a then it becomes a different conversation yeah um but yeah i i I, I love working. I'm, I'm at my happiest when I'm on set and I'm watching and I'm learning and I'm meeting new people and learning new skills. So I'm, I'm very, uh, working uh, with Alfred Molina on, on Feud, uh, I asked him if, if he would do a, a short film that, that I was going to write and direct. Uh, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a whore when it comes to work. Um, and sort of, I, I've sort of taken that mentality of like, oh yeah, I, I, I get it. I love working. And you mentioned feud because that's exactly where I was going to go to next. What was your favorite part of embodying this historical figure on feud? Oh my gosh. So, so good. And so different to, to Jerry Summers, you know, um, 
I was aware of Victor Bono's work uh, from the original Batman series, and he was a voice in one of my favorite childhood cartoons, Flight of Dragons, and uh, that was very that was a very different experience because there were so many live performances of his to draw from, whether it's Batman or in interviews and talk shows. And his nephew reached out to me and shared old photos and stories. And so I was really, I was really able to embrace that role sort of openly and Mm -hmm. sort of joyously. Again, he was this big, larger than life character um and that it was a real joy and a real oh my gosh what a what a treat to to get to meet and work with with Alfred Molina who is you know since i first seen him in in Raiders of the Lost Ark yes. and you know being a british character actor seeing the trajectory that his career has you know yeah. continued to to be and explode and just wonderful wonderful performances and i've seen him live on stage and just someone who you look up to as as a an artist and to be such a wonderful human being as well is just the best what was it like uh, ryan murphy and jessica lang were also involved in feud mm-hmm. now ryan murphy is the creator of american horror story and mm-hmm. of course for like the majority of the seasons Jessica Lange was in every season of American mm-hmm. Horror Story. What was it like working with those two? Great. You know, I, I was, it was one of those situations where I was a little intimidated at first because Ryan is, is you know, he knows exactly what he wants. Uh, but after doing the first scene uh, with Susan where I, I meet her with the donuts, uh, he came out from behind video village and he gave me a hug and he said, we're going to have so much fun. And then, you know, the nerves sort of melt away. And, um, yeah, just again, just one of those joyous once in a lifetime jobs, I think. And then, like I said, I, I asked Alfred if he would be in, in this short film that I had written. And then I, I directed that Alfred did it. And then I used the short film to jump onto Ryan Murphy's director mentorship program. Mm-hmm. So then I was able to go and shadow on 911. And while I was shadowing on 911, uh, we had a call to say, hey, are you free to just come and do an episode of American Horror Story on Monday? So I was like, yeah, I've just been shadowing the director all this week. Okay, cool. And so I went from shadowing the director and then he jumped onto American Horror Story on Monday and I was there on set and he was like, wait, you're not you're not shadowing on this show too, are you? And I was like, nope. Today, I'm one of your actors. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they, they call it a, a family. They they say, like, oh, you're part of the, the Ryan Murphy TV family. And uh, it, it really That's it an feels honor like right that. there. Yeah, you know, to, to get to sit and and watch and, and shadow the directors uh, as, as part of, of that world, too. Yeah, really, just wonderful. So many wonderful things of... of um, you know, blossomed from from Feud. Um, I did a horror film, uh, Ma, yes. down in, in Mississippi, and that uh, that came from Feud, where where Tate, the director, had seen Feud and called and was like, "Hey, uh, put yourself on tape for the role of Stu," uh, and then went down and met Tate and 
John in Mississippi and that led to another film and and now I've done the directing on Ryan Murphy's half director mentorship program and and started directing now I have a World War II feature film in development with those guys in Mississippi and so connections you know, connections leading to more yeah, and more and everything stuff. just starts to to grow and you meet more people and like-minded people who just are kind and enjoy working and yeah it's it's a i'm i'm very very grateful and very blessed yeah staying with american horror story for a second you were on an episode you have obviously like you said worked with ryan murphy what is the atmosphere like on the set of you know that what were your impressions of the set of american horror story with the actors uh, uh-huh. What season of American Horror Story? You were on Apocalypse, right? Yes, yeah. I think. I yes. love that season. Uh, what I think the day that I was there, um, I think they just done some rewrites at short notice because they asked me on a Friday to go and do it on the Monday, or maybe I, my days. It was it was falling on a day that an event was happening for the Emmys. And so a lot of the cast were going off site to do that. Um, But it was a, it was a great set. We were filming down at uh, the Hollywood forever cemetery down uh, in Hollywood, which is if anyone's in Los Angeles, there's a a company called Synespia that will do Hollywood screenings of cult classic films and they will screen them on the side of the mausoleum and you can take a picnic and, uh, I think they have Scream and Scream 2 coming up for, for Halloween. Like, really fun stuff. So to, to be filming there uh, was a lot of fun. And, yeah, I'd been shadowing Bradley the week before. And so it was it was a nice, fun, even though, you know, it's gory and, and messy. They keep Anytime it lighthearted. They keep it lighthearted. Yeah, it's fun. I think every show has its own sort of tone and feel. You know, I I feel like... Like you said, I, I've gone from set to set to set. Um, you you learn very quickly what sets are the ones where you, okay, I'm sitting down and I'm keeping my head down and staying in my lane, and the ones that are open and, and embracing of, you know, outside actors coming into to their playground. And I think it starts from, you know, the number one and number mm-hmm. two of, of the show, the call sheet uh, that, that sets the tone. Um, and it, it makes a, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I, I bet. I mean, I would think going on to a set where everybody's, you know, open and, and welcoming instead of like you just said, going on to a set where you've just a feeling, I mean, that nothing yeah. needs to be done. Just the feeling is just go there, keep your mouth uh-huh. shut, do your job. And then, you know, end you the know, day. The, the, the sets where you, you get there and everyone is warm and, open and they want to collaborate and they want to do the best work that's for me at least that's where my best work comes mm-hmm. out is, is when i feel like oh okay this is a safe environment to yeah. to play and experiment and if i've got this idea for a scene i'm i feel safe to try it rather than you know some sets which will remain nameless course, on, yeah. on not that um yeah you know i've, I've had terror on um, one or two examples where 
it has been a, a really unpleasant experience mm-hmm. and you get home at the end of the day and you shake it off yeah. uh, and okay that happened but it's it's not on i think sometimes actors sort of carry around like oh my gosh i must have done something wrong and often it's not the case it's not on you it's mm-hmm. someone else's issue and their problem and yeah. you go and you do your job and put it behind you yep now you're you're from the UK. You're mm-hmm. living in LA now. Uh, you went to drama school in the UK. Uh, I did. Uh, which? Uh, how long have you been in the US now? Like Gosh, living in LA. Fourteen years. I I got here in November of two thousand and seven, just as the writer strike was starting. Oh. Um, which ended up being wonderful for me. I mean, you know, bad, terrible for for the industry at the time. But again, I, I came and I was so wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and naive that I was like, here I am in Los Angeles and I'm a member of British Equity, so I'm sure I'll be able to do SAC projects. And nope. Um, but yeah, it was it was the it was the writer strike. But it ended up helping me in a way because casting directors had nothing to do. Nothing was being cast. Nothing was being made. And so I'd I'd had the experience of of working in London. And I would be lucky in London if I I could get an audition maybe once every four or five months. And then there's that that pressure there. They're like, oh, I've got to... I've really got to do my best in this audition. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to get another chance to to do an audition for another five months. Um, and because of the writer's strike, all of these casting directors were teaching classes or having general meetings to meet new actors. And I met in, I feel like in three weeks of being in LA, I'd met more casting directors than I had in three years of being in London. Wow. And, you know, the, the writer's strike went on for a while. And I, I, I met so many great casting directors the first three or four months that I was here. That really, I I think it was it was beneficial. A lot of people left town because it was like, there's nothing going on. Um, and I was like, well, I'm here. I'm gonna get a day job at the ArcLight Movie Theater, and I'm gonna start meeting people. Um, I mean, I've yeah. I've spoken to a lot of filmmakers, actors, and uh, this really surprises me. There doesn't seem to be that much. Uh, I don't know if opportunities, even financing available for filmmakers especially in the independent industry in the united kingdom and that uh as an american that really surprises me you know i i i think the industry has changed since i left when i was in london i i found the industry to be very inaccessible and very hard and i'm sure you know Everyone is going to have a completely different journey. You could put 20 actors of the same type in a room and let them meet the same casting directors and the same creators, and everyone's going to have a radically different career. London London wasn't my city, mm-hmm. uh, but as soon as I got to Los Angeles, I, I felt like, oh, okay, I'm meeting people and I'm auditioning, and this is, this is what it's supposed to be. Um, and I didn't have that in London. And I, and I know I have friends from America who've gone to London and they, they've had the the opposite experience where they can't get work in London. And I've had friends come from the UK to Los Angeles and they've not been able to meet people. And it's uh, I still I think acting is still a mystery. 
you know, it's so professionally moving to LA was one of the best decisions you could have oh, made. The I the best the best decision I could have ever made. And you know, there there have been ups and downs and um again when I when I got to LA wide-eyed and bushy-tailed i was on something called an o1 visa mm -hmm. and i thought like great i have a visa i can work on anything and i auditioned for tintin that was directed by steven spielberg and uh i think i auditioned in july august and they told me in september that i booked it and i was like oh my gosh i booked tintin this is great it's gonna film in february and it's gonna be motion capture and i'm so excited and december came around and i went down to Marina Del Rey, where the, the studio was, and they did the, the Weta digital scan, and they fitted me for the motion capture suit and the helmet, and I went home to England for Christmas, and then Christmas Eve, I had a phone call from Paramount saying, hey, oh. uh, we don't take O-1 visas, oh. we're going to try and get you our own visa, and then that job went away, and there, that there were sucks. There were multiple jobs on the on the O one visa that I wasn't able to do that I auditioned for and I booked that I wasn't able to do, um, and then I applied for my green card. My first green card got rejected, and so then I had to save another ten thousand dollars again to to do the second green card case. And it's it's been a slog. And and now uh, April of this year, I became an American citizen. So right. so now. Now, if if Stephen wants to come calling again, he can. you are available. Absolutely. Oh my gosh! But oh. what a nightmare at the time. You know, it. I think every actor's career is is. I think that's what acting is. It's it's incredible highs and incredible lows, and like I was saying, you know, foraging like a squirrel because you don't know. You don't you know, know what the next job next. is or when it's coming. Yep. 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 Dominic, this hour has just flown by. It's been an absolute hour already. Yeah, yeah. It's been such an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. Doctor Death is premiering tomorrow, sometime tomorrow. We don't know exactly when. We're still tomorrow. trying to figure out the streaming, how the streaming networks do it. But it is coming out Friday, July fifteenth, with which, which is tomorrow. Uh, I've had the honor to see a, the first couple of episodes. It's a really good show. It's based on real events. Please check it out. Uh, Dominic is great in it. Uh, Alec Baldwin is in it. Christian Slater. Uh, Joshua, who plays the doctor. So check it out. You're not going to be disappointed. Dominic, thank you so much for being a part of our show and sharing thank all you. your stories with us. Uh, really looking forward. And I think I really believe Dr. Death is going to be a, a big success. Uh, Who knows? But onwards, I mean, onwards, wherever the road may lead. Exactly. There's no guarantees, but I really think it's going to be a success. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck. So thank you so much for, tell, for yeah. coming here and sharing all these great stories with us. Uh, thank you to our audience for tuning in. Any final thoughts you want to share? Uh, no, thank you so much. I, I see all these... Uh, Little comments on the, the, the chats. Yeah, on the yeah, side. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hi, hi. Yeah. Colette, I wonder if he lived near me. Maybe. I'm from Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah. Uh, so if I talk to my parents over Skype, <laughs> then the old Stoke-on-Trent accent comes out to play. <laughs> that is so awesome. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe. On behalf of Dominic and myself, 
stay safe and stay walking. Good night.